Yeah, buddy. What do you guys know about smuggling heroin through your anus? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome once again to Deluxe Edition. As always, my name is Bill Siebold, and I'm here with Mr. Casey. Oh, what's wrong, Casey? Oh, oh, there's the smoke. You couldn't hold it. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. (laughs) Every week you try and drag that out longer and longer and longer. Yeah, I didn't know if you noticed. Yeah, I, I noticed. How you doing, my friend? Good, buddy. How are you? My colleague, my pal. Doing good. We're trying out a new uh, recording system, uh, a lot more fancy than Zoom, so this should be fun. But we actually had a Zoom interview just a, a couple days ago. Uh, we were going to try to pull off that it's the same day. You wore the, the proper shirt. I forgot to do that. <laughs> so a little... Uh, behind the scenes editing was what we were supposed to do to pull this off. But we've interviewed who, Casey? Gregory Scott Cummins. So the reason I wore this shirt and I explained it in the interview, I've always seen Greg in things. If anyone's a fan of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he plays Mac's dad, Luther. But then I saw him in this movie, Hacko Lantern, on the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs on Shudder. And it changed my life. For the better, I guess. Oh, yeah. I've become uh, quite the Gregory Scott Cummins fan. Uh, I've watched quite a few of his movies, his early movies. The ones that he talks about that he just did to pretty much do them. Well, he's a working actor. You know, you got to make money somehow. If it were my first acting job and somebody said to me, hey, yeah, we got a gig here where you just get kicked in the nuts for like, you know, (laughs) an hour. I take the job, you know. Like, right now, you and I have a pinky in Hollywood. Like, I would be trying to do anything I could to get more than just a pinky in. I would want to try to work my way through the system, and that's right. exactly what he did. Yeah, I mean, he was actually just doing some of those early ones for free, just to get a reel, you know, just to get just to get things on, on a reel so he could get more work, you know? Well, you know, he never realized, you know, 2021 will come around, the internet will be a thing, this thing called YouTube will exist, and all this shit is going to come back up. Or Amazon Prime. For me, Amazon Prime is like uh, nothing but awesome B horror movies. You know, I go to Netflix and I tune through and there's nothing I like. I go to Amazon Prime and it's like, oh, you're going to love Class of Nukem High 3. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, you're right, Amazon Prime. <laughs> there is so much content out there, though, right now. I mean, it's so ridiculous. There's Netflix, Shutter, Amazon Prime, Tubi. Those are the ones I have. What else is there? Hulu. I have Hulu also. HBO Max, uh, yeah. HBO Max. I don't know if you said yeah, Disney, I, mean, I forget. I have a very short Disney. memory. Yeah. It's just, it's there's so much stuff. Peacock. It's ridiculous. Peacock. Mm-hmm. They just keep, it seems like they keep adding some. Paramount. All right, we get it. There's a lot of them. Playboy probably has one. 
Remember the Playboy Channel? <laughs> Maybe only mm, I remember. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, man, there is so much, so much stuff out there. But, you know, I think that's great for some of the people that we love to watch. You know, it, it gives them a second audience. <laughs> so the more the merrier. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Greg is a great guy. I mean, he's such a great guy. We had to edit it out, but he actually gave his address. On. I mean, he's that's how nice of a guy he is. You know, we asked about where people can send their stuff to get autographed, and he just gave his address. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't know who's listening. We're sure everybody listening to us would never go to his house. Right. Like a stalker from our uh, other episode <laughs> where we were talking about stalkers. But just, you know, we're not going to take any chances. Right. It's scary yeah. enough that Casey now has his address. <laughs> Why don't we get on with the interview? All right. This episode is brought to you by uh, Michael Ortiz, our patron on Patreon. If you want to be like Michael, go to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod and uh, support the show. And uh, no other sponsors this week. No other affiliates. That's something we can talk about another time. Yeah. But, and if uh, you... Bought anything from our old affiliates? Unbuy it. Quick. Fuck them. Fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the story for another time. Let's get on with the interview. All right, Bill. Hey, Greg, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We love your movie career. I mean, we and your TV career. We just love looking at IMDb and seeing all these things and going, yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we saw that. And the more that we talk about it, the more we're like, oh, yeah. Like, we realize that you were probably in every single thing that we loved growing up so it's really awesome to have you here well i appreciate it you know i I played bad guys for a lot of years because uh you know i started late you know i didn't get until after graduate school i finished at 29 and and then i did theater and then i started doing non-union films to work my way in about seven or eight of them uh, until i became union and then worked my way up slowly so i found every time i'd start auditioning for the leading man roles i was a little better looking then but you know still it, it obviously still shows because you know as you're looking you know it's just it's pretty incredible obviously but then i just grew my hair out long and i started growing the beard growth and i started playing bad guys and every time i auditioned for a bad guy i just started getting it like nine out of ten auditions it was just so to work you know i i just started playing bad guys because i wanted to work and uh and i just because of the independent you know not in non-union or low budget films i was playing the leading man or the lead bad guy the lead good guy the lead bad guy it was always action stuff you feeling reformed <laughs> completely i burned down your meth cabin ruby fuck you that was violent you better stay the fuck away from her, my friend. Big girl, hard to miss. Fuck you. She is big and beautiful. And I am out of here in 36 hours. Drive straight to Nevada. Uh, but as I started working my way up, the casting directors, they didn't know. Like, I'd play a, a nice guy on one show. I'd play a, a, a dangerous bad guy on another show. I'd play a tough guy in another show I, uh, uh, but a nice guy a leading man character or I'd play a you know a gay queen on divorce court or whatever so I had all these different cast directors knowing me all these different ways which is what an actor really wants but the thing is that they once they see you do one thing because they've got you know hundreds and thousands of people with pictures sending them for each role they don't think you know that everybody is versatile 
you know, and they can play a lot of different things. So I, I, my, they call my agent would call in and they say, oh, well, no, he's a, he can't play a bad guy. He's a, he's a really nice character or he can't play a nice guy. He's a really bad character or he can't play a weak bad guy because he's a really tough, dangerous psycho bad guy. And they don't understand that you, you know, you can change yourself, you know, that, they don't think that way. Even with stars, sometimes they don't think that way. So I actually had to give them one thing, you know, one one category that seemed to be the one that I would work most in or get most auditions in. So I grew the hair long, grew the goatee up, and I played bad guy for years. You know, I, I kind of made myself look that way. It was horrible for my personal life for a lot of years, but what are you going to do? Obviously, I, I uh, when they wanted the really good-looking bad guys, they hired me, and and uh, you know then the, then if they wanted the real ugly bad guys, well then they hire everybody else. But uh, <laughs> but that's just my own little dream world, and I like it there. So that's yeah. great. Well, how's it different working now? I mean, you're on a popular show now. You're on Bosch, so it's like a show that like people are talking about, people are are, are pretty excited about. Yeah, it has to be different than kind of coming up and doing you know small jobs oh. at the time. Well, yeah, when, when years ago, when you played a bad guy, you know, you do a movie or you do an episodic your TV show, a Walker, Texas Ranger, a Renegade, a Hunter or whatever. You know, there just there were so many shows on you just do one episode and then you're auditioning four or eight times every week and you're not working. And then you get another job and you're going somewhere else and another job and you go less auditions. And it's really nice. I've been wanting to they didn't have serial episodics then where you had a bad guy lasting a whole season or a group of seasons, you know. So and I could never get on as a sidekick, you know, because I wasn't a star or a name, you know, but you want to get on a show as a sidekick and this and that. But I'm six foot four. So I would walk into every audition, honestly, and other than maybe a few people like Fred Dreyer for Hunter and all that. A lot of people weren't as tall, and and I hate to say it, but you know, cast directors would come in and finally say to me, "I won't waste your time anymore." You see that line on the wall? Anybody over that line, we just can't cast for a sidekick regular role, a recurring role, or a, a series regular uh, because you you make the the star of the show look short. So that's why the bad guys work because I could be taller. So as far as Bosch, th- this has been. I've been wanting to be, uh, you know, a running role in a series for it's been 36 years now. So uh, I got this in my 29th year of acting. So uh, professionally, so uh, this has been heaven for me. And, uh, you know, and I decided as I got older to, you know, cut the hair short and and uh, cut the beard growth and uh, and play detectives and cops and CEOs and FBI and CIA, whatever. And uh I got this and I just you know, just lucked out to work with some of the best people in the business uh, on a show that, you know, you knew was going to go with Michael Conley, uh, you know, with his following with the novels. And, and they cast the most perfect actor and the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet Titus Welliver to play Bosch. And because of those things uh, and, and Eric Overmeyer, who the, uh, created the wire and uh you know he's the head writer who adapts things so he is involved with all the scripts sometimes with michael conley sometimes on his own and they'll bring in other writers but he's always overseeing it so the group of producers is just top-notch a-grade producers and it's just uh and they they created an incredible cast uh, and they paired me up with uh 
barrel, the Creighton barrel, or the, the Creightons. I play Creighton. Troy Evans plays barrel, and they put me with him, who was just an incredible guy, incredible actor, and we just have this rapport, and then they've written some great stuff for our characters. So it's a very serious cop show, a detective show with, with some serious cases. And uh, but the whole supporting cast is just, you know, Lance Reddick playing uh, uh, Chief uh, Irving. They've got uh, Amy Aquino playing uh, uh, Lieutenant uh, Billets. They've got Maddie playing Maddie, playing Bosch's daughter and, and got uh, Dewan Johnson and playing Pierce and uh, Jacqueline Obrador playing uh, Vega. And just just, you know, uh, Scott Place playing uh, uh, Mankiewicz, and it's just this. Oh, and Jane, oh my God, <laughs> uh, Jamie Hector playing Bosch's partner, Jay Edgar, uh, is just like incredible. I mean, he just blew he and Lance blew everybody away on the wire. I mean, and and he's got a following of just it's he's he's just a star. You know, both of them are just incredibly good, and uh, you know, and you know, it's just it's been the job of a lifetime. You know, if I literally didn't get another job, I would be like, you know what? I'm good. You know, I hate to say that, but I'm good. You know, because I plan on keeping working, but it's been really the job of a lifetime. They, they've they got some spinoff going. I don't know if there's a chance of being on that. But even if I don't, uh, uh, if we don't, it, it's just been the job of a lifetime. And the, the group, the people they put together, the crew, the producers are just all so incredible the directors they bring on the show and uh, the crew it's just been this great family i have never wanted to go to work more than when i have been working on this show um you know they're, they're just some people they're just some show it's it's why i got into theater in the first place and became an actor i enjoyed from the sport world you know, you don't get quite as close. People are a little more machismo, you know, macho. You don't express your feelings as much. And you become friends with a few people. But in theater, you know, everybody's like pouring their feelings out there and you get close to people. And that's why I enjoyed theater in college. And and then, you know, uh, uh, over at PCPA Theater Fest in Solvang, Santa Maria was my first a professional job in theater, but then uh, I moved back to film, but I haven't had that, you know, I mean, for short periods, I'd have that with maybe uh, working with Bill Whitliff uh, on a, on a series after he did Lonesome Dove or, you know, or, or I'd get, so, you know, but they would be just short time periods of time. You know, I, I got very close with the group on Cliffhanger, you know, I mean, they, they, we were together six months in the mountains and we all became very close but that's just six months. This has been seven years. This is like a. This is like, everybody is just family on this show to me. And uh, and there's a whole bunch of actors I didn't mention that have been on for a season or recurring through the seven seasons or people that maybe did a whole season but you know aren't on there now that you know that are just outstanding people. You know they just they didn't just cast great actors but they cast really nice people. I would go to, I couldn't wait until my next day of working. Usually I'm just like, Oh, I have to get up at 5am. I got to go to work. Oh God. You know? And, and for me, it would be like, Oh geez, I get to work today. I get to go see everybody. It's kind of that way with, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I just, 
haven't worked as much on that show uh, over the years, but I get that same kind of feeling with them. But it's not like I'm, you know, like a series regular on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or, you know, I'm recurring on Bosch, but we do, you know, most of the episodes every season, you know, six or seven or eight or nine out of the 10, you know. But uh, yeah, it's been the job of a lifetime, really. Well, I, it's, uh, I was going to yeah. ask you because you were you were saying earlier you you have a lot of different uh, of, of styles and a lot of different uh, roles in the past. Yeah, what is and this is where my questions are going. You're going the same direction, mm-hmm. but so you don't need to repeat yourself. But you know, it seems yeah. I was going to ask: Is it better to have stability with a show like this, or do you sometimes miss going back and having the new challenges of trying to be a new character and trying a new you know genre well, that you haven't been in? <laughs> I just have a story, a quick story. Um, Fred Dreyer hired me. Hired me. I played a Hunter episode where, you know, the a bad guy years ago, back in the early 90s, uh, they really liked that episode, the character that I played. So when he did the return of Hunter back in the 2000s, he made the pilot and he wanted me to be, uh, out of all the bad guy characters, he, he they wanted to hire names. NBC wanted to hire names. And he said, no, I want Greg Cubbins to play. He's going to play this role. You know, and he hired me in an independent film, too. So I worked with him a bunch and he, he was he was just really nice to me. And so he, he was jealous. He said, you know, after the Hunter was over and the series didn't go, the return of Hunter, uh, he said, you know, I'm jealous, Greg. I said, you play all these different characters and all this stuff. And, and I just I cannot get hired because of Hunter. I, I cannot get hired in another character. And I said, uh, you probably have a really big house and you probably have like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars tucked away. And you don't ever have to worry about working again. And I'm still a blue-collar actor struggling, uh, working different jobs, jumping job to job to job to job. Yes, I'm changing characters, but I'll trade with you in a second. I said, you made it. You you don't ever have to work a day in your life. And you could create your own films if you want. You can do anything you want. And, you know, it, it, I'll take your bank account and have a nine-year running series. And then you can come and take my bank account and play all these different roles and and all that. I I said, I don't even want to hear it. And that's kind of the way I feel about it. No, I I could go on with this role for 20 years and I would be happy because the writers, they create such great stuff for our characters, you know, uh, for Crate and Barrel. And and then again, for the whole show, for all the characters, Uh, you know, it it went seven years and they put an end to it and and they're going to do a, a spinoff now, but uh, I could have gone on forever. So, yeah, I like playing different characters, but it's a hard life being a blue collar actor, you know, going in and, you know, doing so many auditions all the time and then flying here, flying there, going abroad, flying here, flying there. It's very, it's, you know, I'm very happy that I was able to work for a lot of years, but it's, you know, we're not, we're not big, making big movie star money or anything, or, or like uh, if you were a lead on a series, you know, then you're going to make more money. But, you know, I haven't been, you know, like the star of the series. You know, I've just been supporting on, on the series. So I'll be comfortable in retirement, but just, you know, comfortable. You know, I'm, I'm not rich by any means. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so no, it's, uh, it, it's starting to become clear the more that we talk to people. I mean, we're in the 80s and the 90s. Every production seemed like it was a billion trillion dollars. Every 
yeah. you know, star was bigger than 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 all the stars combined. It was just we were blown away by everybody and everything we saw. And as we're yeah. talking to people who are working actors, I love the phrase blue collar actor because that's yeah. that's exactly what I've been yeah. we've been learning. You know, it, it, sometimes you're you're fighting to get a job, and sometimes you're oh yeah, it never ends. I mean, yeah, it never ends. There's not a point uh, where uh, you're just continuing, uh, you know, to. Uh, audition 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 and and yeah it's nice getting versatile roles and things like that but as you start getting older it starts getting harder and harder and i did all the i did you know when you play the bad guys well you're you're doing all the fight scenes and you're doing all the stunts and you're doing and a lot of times they would hire a stuntman but i i was still able to do everything anyway so he would just kind of sit around and you know i i just didn't do full fire burns or high fall anything over a three-story fall but other than that you know i'm beat up you know, and it gets when I hit like 50, 48, 52. Oh, man, I, I'm 65 now. I'm I'm beat up. I'm crippled. Like I played about 18 years at a regular position in the NFL or something. Uh, it's no joke. I wouldn't go do stunts. Uh, some people on the cliffhanger uh, who did the, the stunt coordinators, they asked me if I wanted to just come and do stunts for them because I I was good. I was athletic, you know, as an athlete in college and high school and all that. But uh I just said, no, I'll, I'll just do my own stunts with, with the dialogue, you know, so when I get roles with dialogue, but I'm just not going to go to a set every day and get paid a certain amount of money to just get beat up, you know, at least, you know, when I get bad guy roles, I'm not beat up every day I'm working, you know, so, uh, so I get beat up sometimes. And I, I, I got a lot of jobs because I could do my own stunts too, you know, and they knew that people, uh, you know, had seen things I did before and they knew that I did my own stuff. So, so they could save money on stunt men. Do they know this kind of information? Did they know that you had a, an athletic background? Did they know that you did sports and did football in, well, in school? You were, no, they said you can come in and do this, but they might. Yeah, no, like, no, they didn't know. I mean, they, they, they swell from all the stuff I'd done previously, you know, they, they're aware of things. Say when I first started, you know, I just started doing all, all that stuff and it was all action films so I, I get a demo reel tape and then they can see a bunch of stuff that i did on that and or they might have seen the show or whatever and so they they, they realize it over time and even if they and then they didn't have the money to hire stuntmen and the lower budget stuff or the independent stuff even the union independent stuff they, they already knew that i you know did my own stunts so you know we would just do the fight scenes and things like that and uh you know, and and uh, so yeah, so people who hired me knew uh, people like Steve Cannell, Stephen Cannell, or Stu Siegel down in San Diego, or you know, if I got hired on a film, uh, I got cliffhanger. Well, I got cliffhanger because they knew I could do my own stuff. It was rugged up in the mountains there in the Italian Alps, and we were hanging off cliffs, and well, they knew I could do all that because of stuff I'd done before. You know, uh, but yeah. uh, so do you think doing your own stunts is probably the reason you're? where you are now. You no, 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 no. You did it's tons of, of action stuff to, to get started. I mean, yeah, no, but, I, but I, in the 80s. I, I did, I did train really hard to be a decent actor, you know, at least, you know, I'm not saying I'm the best actor in the world, but you know, you, you go to auditions, you don't do stunts and auditions. You have to earn the role with your acting. You know, sometimes people would work with me again, that knew I could do stunts, but they, they hired me because of my acting. But I like to pretend that they hired me because of my incredibly good looks. But uh, so uh, all those acting classes and all the masters in acting at UCLA and all that stuff, that, that, that was all totally unnecessary. It's just, 
It's my good looks is the reason that I've had a career all these years. Uh, it, <laughs> that's what I like to think. And, and I'm, I'm good with that. You I, know, I, I agree with it. Uh, really when i traced your career it was a lot of action stuff and then at some point you started to get a lot of comedy stuff i remember head of the class like i remember you in that sitcom playing the bad guy scaring the geek yeah you know kid i wouldn't sell this gun to just anybody but you look like you know how to handle a piece huh oh yeah yeah well uh what kind of a rod is this? Huh? It is very special. In fact, it's called a uh, Saturday night special. Oh, hey, those are against the law. Come on, kid. Think of an A. How did you get good no, at comedy? Was just, that's just being versatile. I mean, I, I did everything. I started off with all the Shakespeare and Greek and restoration comedy in, in college. And, and then, you know, I, I got the leads and, you know, uh, Shakespeare plays and, you know, uh, Orlando and As You Like It, uh, Benedict, Much Ado About Nothing. And those were comedies, you know. And then, you know, you get the you do Hamlet, you do other things. And so you, you, you just learn to be versatile. And then they. I got a little more honest with my acting once I went through the the kind of method, you know, where instead of the outside in kind of uh, approach of the old Shakespearean styles of Lawrence Olivier and those guys, I kind of learned how to internalize things more and create from the inside. And then and that's what I learned in the graduate school in the master's program. And so now I can incorporate both. But it just they never let me play anything that was close to my type in college, uh, in the master's program, they made me play characters that were always totally different than the way I was to stretch myself, to break down the barriers, to not do what was easy, but make me play things that were outside my comfort zone and that were not the leading man character. And, and they stretched me. So that, that's what allowed me to, you know, I mean, you know, when I played uh, you know, I did t- three lines on a mama's family. I did two lines on a Murphy Brown. So, I, you know, when you're starting out, you just have to work your way up. They have to see you can do OK and, and you get co-starring roles. And all of a sudden you get bigger guest starring roles and then your roles get bigger. But comedy, you know, I, I'm I'm a goofball in real life anyway. So I, I just you know, that just comes naturally to me anyway. But I mean. But comedy, you don't try to act funny. I'm not a comedian, but but it's just a heightened reality. And, and the situations become funny, but you still have to play them seriously or it's not believable. It's just like bad acting. So but, you know, that's what Sonny in Philadelphia is, is is I play a character where he, he seems like a little he's a little over the top. But when I'm playing him, I'm honest. I just you know, when I'm when I'm playing a badass mofo you know i mean and the eyes are popping and you just got the hair slicked back and you got the goatee you know i'm just thinking you know i'm just one badass mofo yeah. and uh <laughs> and uh i don't give a shit about my son i lower the voice a little bit and uh you know it's just like what do you want and then when i think i can get something from you i, I might try to be a little nice you know but it's like, but if I get pissed at you, I'm really pissed. But the counterbalance with their characters is what makes it funny. They hired me because there were a lot of people trying to play that character funny. And I didn't. I played him like really intense and real, although it's a little over the top. But it's dead. I, but I played characters like that in, in serious projects, films and TV shows where 
you're you're just a psycho, dangerous person. And um, and and but the counterbalance with them all of a sudden it becomes incredibly funny because of their reactions. Yeah, you know. So it's just part of learning how to be an actor. You know, some people just play themselves all the time, and if they can make a living or become famous at that, that's great. Uh, you know, there are guys that I worked with uh, that are just the greatest guys, like David Hasselhoff or somebody like that. I worked with him like a whole bunch. He's the greatest guy in the world. Now, first thing he said to me is, look, you know, he, he knows he's just being himself when he's acting. And he said, you know, I, I'm never going to play Hamlet. I know it. You know, I, I, I don't have that kind of ability. But he was able to make a career, a very successful career out of, you know, the, the car thing uh, and, and then Baywatch. and. You know, what what a great guy and, and you know, an egoless uh, in terms of, you know, he never did all that study. He never expanded his uh, abilities beyond that. He didn't have to, you know, and but you know what? That's OK, you know, uh, because what he did was successful. My, my teachers in graduate school always said it's better to do one thing really good for TV and film than, uh, you know, 20 things just average, you know. So, but for me, I, I just figured if I can just do one or two or three things, at least, uh, you know, uh, really good or whatever, you know, but, uh, but that's it. You know, I, I, I did, stu- I studied, for, I was in theater for training for a, you know, since I was 18. So that, you know, through, you know, it's 10, 12, 11 years of, of just nothing but doing plays and doing theater, you know, and taking acting classes, you know, so. And doing community theater and whatever. So, um, you know, you develop a, a certain amount of experience and, and versatility when you do that, you know, because, you know, in theater, you, you kind of really have to learn how to play a lot of different characters if, if you want to be successful, you know. When, but, I mean, when I think about your 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 body of work, I mean, because you've gone through decades, you've transcended different styles of media. And, and yeah, we saw... Uh, I, actually, I got a, a question for you. So a movie called Action yeah. USA, I saw it on my, my Amazon yeah. Prime, and I said, oh, it's new. And I get it, and it's old. So it's a old, lost film of yours. And, and getting to see you back then, I mean, I'm, I don't mean to you know be mean, but your acting is not what it is now. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's well, it's you know, fascinating to watch. We were given we – we had a very low budget. Uh, it was one of the early independent films that I did. I mean, we had no budget. You know, they would set a camera up and they'd say, you got one take. And then we got to move on. We shot that thing in about like less than two weeks. With all that action and all those stunts, you know, the actors, we tried to do the best we could with the script. But we didn't have time to do a lot of rehearsal and takes and all that. And we didn't have the money. So, you know, it was it was just flying by the seat of your pants and um you know you do the best you can in the situation it's kind of like um you know a really great actor on a soap opera will come across pretty good you know and a pretty good actor on a soap opera will come across average and an average actor will come across not so good because you get you know 20 or 30 pages a day you know, maybe 25 pages a day, the morning you're shooting, you know, of that day, you know, so you can only put so much time or work, you know, I mean, if the better actor you are, you can maybe bring it to yourself and and make it 
you know, something. Uh, but but it's really hard to experiment to 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 find the depth to characters. You know, when you've got that much dialogue in that amount of short time. But you say they bring the pages to you. So I think I'm understanding you're waking up. Well, if you're doing a soap opera, they're shooting, you know, 50 minutes, 48 minutes for an hour episode a day with commercials. So, so, you know, every character on there, you know, is getting the script uh, like late at night, the night before you shoot the next morning and, and you get 20, 25, 30, I've done soap operas and, and I play I played a bad guy on General Hospital and Santa Barbara and Young and Restless and and you get you know so I get like thirty pages and I'd be up on a trip and I'd fly in the morning and then you just memorize as fast as you can and you just do it and when they shoot it they expect you to go up on lines because you know you kind of go three four five lines and then somebody falls a line you step back one line and then you just keep shooting. And you don't go over things. You don't retake. You don't get second takes. It's just uh, they're they're cranking it out because they have a lot to shoot in the day. And um, sometimes they'll shoot 12-hour days. Sometimes they'll shoot 16, 18-hour days. But they have to get it shot that day so it gets in the bank. And and then the next day is a whole other episode. You know, so when you're shooting quickly without a lot of time and preparation, that's why actually you say that was made to sell abroad. It was never made to go out in theaters. They they made it to uh, sell to companies that were abroad, uh, you know, that like they did in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, they would make these low-budget films, and because it had a lot of action in it, they would uh, sell it uh, abroad, and they'd make profits, you know, but we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, uh, you know, Disney, all these uh, online things they have now, and you know, at the time back then, there, there were only, you know, three, four networks. There's ABC, NBC, CBS, and I think maybe Fox was a main network then. But even TNT and H- HBO and all that stuff hadn't really started up then. It did start, but then they started doing their own things in the 90s. Uh, but now there's like, there's more work, but not as many people are watching, like, like Magnum P.I., you know, uh, it would get 80 million viewers as the number one hour episodic every week uh, back in the 80s, right? Uh, early 90s. But now the number one hour episodic is like NCIS uh, with uh, Mark Harmon. I've worked with three or four times. But, you know, they get like 18 million viewers a week. You know, so there's more work out there, but not, not as much money to spread around for the stars as much because there's so many not every there's just so much there's so much so many things airing on so many different internet stage you know net, you know streaming platforms you must have thought when you were making movies back then that maybe if the movie wasn't a hit or the show wasn't a hit you you must have thought well nobody's ever going to see or hear of that again well no I, yeah no what i did it for i did it, i had to work by you know i mean i you know I, there's no nepotism i don't know anybody in the business i had to work my way up and I did a lot of free theater or paid for it in college or earned it with scholarship. But so I figured, you know, I need to get demo reels. We didn't have digital cameras then. if you used a video camera, it didn't work. Casting people didn't want to see that. They wanted to see something from a, a high quality video from a, a sitcom or they wanted to see something that was uh, from a 35 millimeter camera. You know, that was, uh, you know, the old fashioned film cameras and there was a quality to it. And so I used to do the roles 
to get uh, little scenes or pieces of scenes to put together for my demo reels. First two films I did, I did for free. You know, I just for I said, you've got to give me a copy of the film. I said, that's all I want. I need to build a demo reel. You know, now kids can go out and shoot their own demo reels and they look like really good because it's digital. But in those days, you actually had to get work and then you had to pull stuff from the work, put it on your reels and then show it to casting directors. And even to get an agent, you needed a demo reel. So I, I didn't have my agent until I started uh, working uh, uh, on union projects, which was uh, after I worked my way up for a while, just getting stuff, sending it out through. Uh, they had a thing called drama log. So yeah, but a lot of actors work their way up who are my age or a little younger or a little older, you know, from scratch. You, you worked your way up from the bottom. You know, there, maybe there are a few people who didn't, but some people, you know, lucked out when they were younger and they might have started in their teens, or early 20s and got in something huge like Harrison Ford and Star Wars or, you know, something like that. And then, boom, you're you're a star and you can pretty much do whatever you want. But there, for a lot of actors, it doesn't work out that way. It, it, you don't know what films are going to become well-known or not. So you just do the best job you can and, and work your way up. And you just, the other, it was Tom, Tom Berenger, I, I, I saw an interview where he just said, uh, somebody asked him, you know, how do you get into the business? And he just said, just work, you know, I mean, just get work and then just get another job and get another job and just do the best you can and just keep working and, they said, do you choose or select your characters? And he said, well, I don't. He said, I, if somebody hired me, gives me a job, I, I do it. <laughs> you know. And, um, and then work, you get to know people on the set. People see if you're good. People remember you, producers, actors, a makeup artist, whatever. And then they go, hey, you know, you should read this guy. He was really good in this movie we worked on uh, or this TV show we did before. And that's kind of how you... You start building a resume, and then all of a sudden, word of mouth gets out there, and and then you still have to audition, but uh, you know you slowly build a, a career, and so that's that's the way it worked for me anyway, and and it works for a, lo a lot of other people have done it the hard way, and uh, as somebody like Titus on Bosch, you know he he was doing the same thing, you know, just playing character roles, guest starring roles, working his way up, getting some great films. And, you know, that he's been in over the years and he got that lost role. That was a very high profile thing. Uh, but then, you know, eventually worked his way Deadwood and, and he did a lot of uh, films and some big movies, some big blockbusters. But then, you know, getting the lead role on Bosch, that's why he's such a nice guy. See, he's worked his way up. He knows what it's like to go through, uh, you know, and so to become now a lead, become the face of a series um, you know, it's why he's so appreciative and he's such a great guy. It's just because he's, he worked hard to get there for a lot of years. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's who, you know, and it's hustle. It sounds like it's the same thing. Yeah. But it's not who you, it's who, you know, through work, you know, who, who you meet through your work. And if you're good, you move on, you know? Yeah. And, and then they, they say, Hey, you know, cause I, 
I, I was at a thing in 89 called Stone Cold, which was a biker movie. Uh, but then years later, I remember Michael Cimino, who did Deer Hunter, uh, was doing a film with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he was looking for a biker type character. And somebody said, you know, watch, try to get one of those supporting actors on Stone Cold, which became this kind of cult biker movie with Lance Heinrichsen and Brian Bosworth and whatever. But it's kind of this kind of cult biker movie. And I played a character called AWOL in it, uh, you know, former military guy who's now a biker. And I had the goatee with the points and the whole thing and the, the look, the slick back here. And uh, he saw that and hired me. And, and then, you know, so work begets work. You know, I didn't know him beforehand, but my work got me something else because he saw something that I did or somebody told him or somebody, you know, gets you into an audition because they saw you in something or heard you that you were maybe good in something else. And somebody said, you know, you should read Greg Cummins. You should call Greg Cummins agent and have him read something. And that's so it's not a lot of people say it's who you know is you kind of earn who you know. I mean, because you could know if you're not good, that gets around too. Right. You know, (laughs) so a lot of people end their careers because they're, they're not up up to par. You, you have to at least have something. And, uh, you know, or Tom Hanks used to just say, be good, you know, just be good, you know, be, be good. Uh, People ask how, how you get to be, you know, uh, make a living in this business. And he said, be good. <laughs> you, know, he just, you know, so, you know, that doesn't, you know, but I'm saying, guess, you know, a lot. Yeah. I guess how you receive that it's good advice or bad advice. I guess it all depends on where you're standing and, and you know, the way. That yeah. You're... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you earn who, you know, it's, it's the same with sports uh, or, or anything else, any other job or business. I mean, if you're an attorney, if you, if you're a, a salesman, if you're whatever, I mean, if you're good at something somewhere else and you're a nice person and you're, and, and people like you and you get along with people, that's part of it too. You, you don't want to be a jerk. Nobody wants to work with a jerk. It's just that leads to other things, but you got to get those first jobs and then, and then show what you can do. And then over time, you know, that, and if you do a good job, then you move on. If you don't do a good job, you don't move on, you know, you know, but me, I don't have to worry about that. It's just my good looks. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, so it has nothing to do with acting ability whatsoever. It's just this, you know, and, and it's just, you know, so I, I just owe it all to just my, the, I, I, the people on box hate me when I say this, because I joke about this with everyone all these years, you know, I'd have the long hair, the goatee beard, and I'd be awful. And I, and I just, I'm joking about how good looking I am, you know, and, uh, for some reason, people laugh like like they, <laughs> like, like they think they think I'm joking or something. I, I I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But uh, I think it's worked for you all these years. Well, of course it has. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Self-facing humor, but you, you it, are good it, looking. You get you, it, you get exactly, the brag about it. You are good looking. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I have, a, I have a few questions for you that are yeah. a little bit out of the box, a little bit fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was like thinking maybe we ought to play truth or dare. So these are like truth questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Any, that scares has, me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to answer them if you don't want to. But has there ever been a, a role where you did it and then you went, you sat down, you said, it's time. I got the popcorn. I want to see how this is. And you go, oh, shit, this is awful. 
Yeah. And what if that's happened? <laughs> what was it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Some of those, not the film you mentioned with action USA. Actually, that was the first film that I said, I could actually show this to my family and, and not be, you know, I mean, actually kind of, you know, that, that would be okay. Uh, the first film I ever did was, uh, was, uh, and it's coming up. It has fans now. It, it was, it was, it was hack lantern It was directed by an Indian director who at the time, I think he speaks English now, the producer and director. This was one of my, this was one of my very first questions. So I'm, I'm yeah, well, yeah, well, he didn't speak. The director didn't speak a word of English. He hired us according to what uh, other people said, you know, well, that guy I think was good. So we played. And so I got the, you know, the, the uh, kind of a bad guy on it, you know, the, uh, and, and, uh, and we would do scenes and, and it was horrible. We, 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 we take forever to set up shots. We had three crews quit on us. Nobody got paid because we were all beginning. So, and there were all a lot of shots screwed up because no, you know, people are just learning what to do. And, and it was just it was just horrible, but it was so bad that I didn't even put it in my resume for years. I didn't want anybody. But now it's come out and there's followings and they're showing it in theaters. And I'm going, oh, my God. But there's a market out there now for people who love really campy, really bad horror movies from the 80s, low budget especially. Yeah, and we're the, in that group, to be honest. I mean, the, yeah. more that we're, <laughs> the more that we're exploring, the more we're realizing we love this shit, too. I watched it once and went, oh, my God, you know, and and but, you know, I didn't expect I expected it to be like that. I just, you know, it's just, uh, you know, but but I had to I used a little piece of that here and there to get my next job because there there was enough in there that wasn't maybe so bad that I could actually just have something for my demo reel. And, and that's. Uh, yeah. So that that's that's one. And um eh, you know, I, I, you know, the other ones that were low budget, Dead End City and Deadly Addiction. And then there was another one. Well, you know, Cartel was actually Union, but but um, um, there, there were some other ones. But, but you know what? I didn't expect too much from a lot of those films, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, they, they, they had small budgets. So I knew maybe the sound wouldn't be that great and the editing wouldn't be that great. We didn't have a lot of time to work on the scenes, uh, you know, it was just one take. If you didn't screw up the lines, move on. You know, it, it's just, so I, I kind of learned then that if, if you, if you really are not connected in a scene uh, to actually purposely screw up the line, but uh, so they would have to retake it, you know, but um, I, I don't do that now, but uh, I just now forget things. <laughs> but, uh, but then I, you know, had this, photographic memory and and uh and i just uh i just well even you know uh i uh, i had i was uh, that was a strength of mine was memorizing uh, until my mid-40s oh and then it just stopped all of a sudden the memory I, i'm pretty sure that has happened to me as well I, I, without getting too much in i i i had uh, a lot of concussions over the years and uh, i tried to hide it for about 10 or 15 years after 45 but i had my seventh hospitalized where I was knocked out concussion. I, I had some motorcycle accidents and I had uh, a couple doing stunts and football one and, and a couple really bad car accidents. And the last one at 45, uh, two years, I couldn't work out. I had headaches so bad. I just, my physical symptoms were bad, but 
uh, but I lost my visual memory then. Mm-hmm. I, I and I never gotten it back. I I could recite the entire play of Hamlet, everybody's character. I could perform the whole thing for you in two hours and forty five minutes, right in front of you. You know, and the minute after that concussion, I lost it. Wow. I remember I remember two Hamlet monologues and that's it. I I had 25 audition pieces that I had for 18 years that I would just work on and have prepared. And I could do at a moment's notice gone. I remembered one after that concussion and I still you know, don't remember them unless I went back and actually worked on them again. So I lost stuff from the past pieces from short term, medium and long. And then I lost the ability to memorize this quickly. So I hid it for a lot of years because I didn't want people not to hire me because I I couldn't memorize this fast. And I would go up on lines more because even though you get it memorized, your head isn't completely 100%. And people, you know, they, remember the lines and don't bump into furniture is what a professional is supposed to do. And when that happened to me, I, I hit it for a lot of years. But then now I've been more vocal about it because I uh, I had 20 or 30 concussions where I'd get dizzy or dazed or see stars, but I'd still be awake or temporarily paralyzed, but still conscious. But I had seven where I was knocked unconscious. And the last one at 45 was just one too many. And uh, and it never came back. Uh, stuff never came back. And then I've slowly every year it's been getting a little worse. I'm trying to get treatment for it now. And, and I'm being more open. I would not normally say this vocally uh, you know, on onto anything where anybody would hear it because I don't want people not to hire me. But it has created it takes me tw- 20 times longer to memorize something. I, I, you can give me eight to 10 pages before a, uh, fifth, 20 minutes before a scene uh, on these lower budget. So even when I was 40 in my early 40s. And boom, man, I just monologues and everything. And I just look over it, look over it, look over it, run it, run it, run it, run it, run it. And then I'd shoot it. And I just never go up on a line. Just never go up on a line. Because I had the visual memory. This It's what got me through Cal Berkeley. It's, it got me through the master's acting program. And, and it was just, uh, everybody has one. It's not a photographic memory, but we got a visual memory. And then we we have an audible memory. But But that last concussion just took out my ability to see the words once I've memorized them, it's so it takes longer to lock them in. And then even once you think you've locked them in and you've had worked on it for a week and a half and you still go up because you, your mind just gets dazed sometimes. And it just, and, and that's just the way it is, but you know, I just do the best I can, you know, and, uh, and uh, I'm getting, tra- I'm, uh, Joe Namath went and got this hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment, and uh, and he's getting uh, trying to get a lot of former NFL players who've had a lot of concussions treated with this stuff, with this uh, therapy. And uh, so, you know, this is something I've obviously never said publicly. I've said it privately to a few people, but uh, but uh, I've never said publicly. But it it, it caused problems, you know, and uh, and it's uh, progressively getting worse. So, uh, but but I'm still getting by. And uh, doing the best I can, you know, but uh, it's people who have concussion who played sports. Mine happened through some motorcycle and car accidents and, and 30 years of stunt work. Uh, and uh, I just hit my head one too many times. And uh, it, I did all the other times I came back 100 percent, you know, but just one too many. And, and it was a production that you had to now walk on set and you were like secretly knowing 
Hey, I'm different. Oh yeah, this no, is- I, I know. I mean, even within that first two or three years after the concussion, I, I get three pages, I'd have a week and a half to work on it. And it would just like, you know, maybe eight, eight lines and I go do something. And then all of a sudden I just, I go up on a line and then we do another take. We, and I, I get that line and then go up on another one. And I had a, like a week and a half to work with it, you know? So, you know, I, I could, I, I memorized even in my thirties and forties, in my thirties, you know, forties, it was just that last concussion. I am, um, I, I, I memorized Hamlet in, in, in two and a half days over a weekend. I memorized huge roles, uh, Salieri and uh, Amadeus. Uh, uh, they said, uh, can you understudy Salieri in Amadeus? And I said, okay. I went and worked on a Friday show up at the rehearsal on Monday, and I had it locked in. I, I was off book. I just and, and that was when I was in my 30s. And, but, but I was still going like that in my 40s, too, until that last concussion. Just, just one too many. But, you know, that's so, so I haven't told anybody that, but uh, yeah. thank you for sharing it. I mean, it's, the I hope it doesn't keep a... people. I hope it doesn't keep people from hiring me. It just takes so. a little longer to lock things in and it's just a little harder, but, uh, but it's not, it's frustrating. You know, it's frustrating. You know, that's all I can say. Well, I mean, the, the NFL is getting serious about concussions now, you know, it's, kind of crazy that it's 2021 and, and we didn't realize how bad these things really messed with people. And we got yeah. serious with them. So, And, you know, I don't have like, you know, junior say how, you know, commit suicide and, and people, you know, have depression and things like, I don't have any of that stuff. It's just, you know, it, it affected some med- some medical things, some other things. And, and then it affected uh, the memory. Uh, I had physical symptoms for about two years after that concussion. So it, it, the, the guy who wrote the book, my first of four neurologists, uh, over the years said, um, he said, I wrote a book. All the symptoms you have are every chapter of my book. You have every symptom of a severe concussion, post-concussion syndrome. And it took a long time for the physical pain of the concussion to go away. Uh, so uh, it was a little, it was just one too many, as I said. And, uh, and uh, and uh, it's okay because you know being good looking is the most important thing. It's, it's much more important. important. It's most important. That's yeah, important. I'd rather be good looking. I, I'd rather have bad health and be good looking than the other way around. It's uh, you know who who uh, <laughs> what's the point of being healthy if you're not good looking? You know, so uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, I got one more question for you before I pass it over to Casey. So this is this is a, a, a question. Let's say you're oh, this sounds kind of dark, but I'm going to say it. You're on your deathbed. You're thinking about your your entire career. What's mm. the thing that cuts through everything else as being your highlight and your low light? You mean career wise or yeah, like just what do you? Yeah. To- what in, the the totality, in the totality of life. No, um, career-wise, career-wise. Okay, yeah, because because career is not going to be in that those last thoughts. Uh, at all. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, the important stuff is uh, family and friends and and people you love and care about and and or your parents or yeah, I didn't wasn't lucky enough to be blessed with children, but you know I have some great nieces and, and a nephew and. Uh, you know, and, and three younger brothers. And, uh, you know, so I, I had a great mom and dad and, uh, you know, so the, the family and extended family, uh, daughters, uh, sisters-in-law and things like that. Uh, life is about the relationship. And I've developed some marvelous relationships in film. 
and, and from sport years too. But that, you know, that when I'm dying on my deathbed, I'm not going to be saying, well, you know, I, I, I won an Academy award or I, I did good. And I'm happy I did this film or something like that. That's, that's all, that's all that's secondary. You know, that's, that's not, that's not, I'm, I'm, and if, if it would be, I, I'd feel real bad for anybody who felt that way because uh, you just you have to have a good life and relationships. You know, you know, I, I have a few. I'd say my biggest regret is not having children. And, and uh, as far as uh, I've just been blessed with some wonderful people in my life who've been long term friends, some for periods of time, but some aren't around anymore. Uh, my mom was and dad was. You know, I, I've been very blessed in my life. I worked real hard, but I, I've been very blessed. Uh, but as far as the as far as the career stuff on my deathbed, uh, well, you know, I have no, uh, and, and you know, there, there's nothing I'm going to think of that uh, that oh, I'm glad I did this film or this TV show or that film. I but I could I could say you know that I mean Bosch, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, cliffhanger. And, uh, you know, there were some key films that and projects, TV, you know, whatever that uh, that were special, you know, and and I will always think of fondly. And, and there's some other ones, too. You know, this this thing I did, Lone Justice 2, which was actually Ned Blessing with Bill Whitliff. That was a great thing. They were going to nominate me for a guest starring uh, Emmy. But if they, a series got picked up, it was a, a series after he did Lonesome Dove, but it didn't get picked up. And there were some great people. But uh, but no, I, I uh, I've just I've appreciated the relationships of the people that I've worked with. There are some really wonderful people that I've gotten to know over the years. You know, I mentioned uh, some of these people from Bosch and some of the cast and, and Eric, uh, you know, and all that. Um, Troy Evans has been incredible for Bosch, too, Titus and all the other group. The you know, people that will just they, they'll be in my heart forever and some other projects through the years. I have friends that I've made that are very close and uh, th- those are more meaningful to me. That That's what makes it all worth it. Because that's why I got into acting. I didn't get into acting to become rich, to become a star, become famous. I didn't do it for that. I said, if my mind, if I can make a living, uh, and I'm in a theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, making $400 a week, I'm good. Because I, when the sports didn't work out, it was the only other thing I, I loved. Really loved. I tried a lot of other jobs. I did a lot of other things. Was very successful. Very unhappy with them. And when I went into acting, I just said, I just need to make enough to just make a living. You know, because you know what? This is what I love to do. But it wasn't just the acting. It was the relationships that I made when I was acting. It was the people I worked with. It was the bond, the camaraderie, the, the you know, sports. It's the teamwork you know it's the teams it's the people i played with it's the friends i played with whether it was high school or football baseball the summer leagues and you know growing up you know bronco pony cold american legion you know it was uh, it was the team sports you 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 do as good as you as well as you can individually but it's the team the, the camaraderie you know, I think, and, and and that's what it is to me with the acting. 
It's, you know, I, I have a job to do and I try to do it as well as I can, but the bonding I have with people, yes, you want to do a good job and you want to get appreciation for doing good work. Anybody does in whatever they do, even roofing, Casey, uh, even roofing, you know, I mean, so, uh, you know, you, you want a client to say, hey, God, thank you that you just did an incredible job. That, that was great. Thank you. But it's getting to meet the good people and then sharing things and getting to know them and, and, and developing an emotional relationship. And then having that last for periods of time, you know, uh, and and th- those are the things that I remember. Those are the things that mean something to me. I, I uh, it's not just about the work, you know. It's it's about the relationships and the teamwork and the working as a group. And that to me, I, I and and it's the crew members, makeup artists, hair wardrobe, uh, cameraman. I mean, you know, it's the, it's the people I'm working with that. I just, that's what I, you know, that that's, that's what's meaningful to me, you know, and uh, the only ones that I would regret are the ones where I was on sets where people weren't nice, you know, and everybody was yelling and screaming at each other. And it was just a hell, a hellish situation or whatever. But uh, you know, those I, well, you know, I just try to forget that stuff, but that that's few and far between, you know. Do you ever get into a fist fight on the set? You ever get pissed off so bad? You're like, I'm the bad guy. I'm the good looking bad guy, but I'm still the bad guy. <laughs> I'm going to mess you up. No, there, there's uh, I, the, I, there's one actor in a film that I did who was not really a trained actor that got into fight scenes that uh, dislocated my Adam's apple in a rehearsal. And Jesus. then I told him. And I'm not even going to say who, because uh, and then and he kept putting my Adam's apple right here on his arm and squeezing. And I said, no, no, you put it here and then you, I'll do the acting and make it look and just squeeze hard enough to give me something to work with. But here and he just popped it out of joint the second time. I, I couldn't talk the first time he squeezed it so hard. And I say, you don't do it. You do it like this. And he just ignored me, did it again and then just popped my Adam's apple way over here. And then I popped it back and I was fuming and I wanted to hit him and I'm not going to say who. And, uh, but that was the only time I ever got really, really mad at somebody. And another time, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme accidentally broke my nose on a leg when I was kicked in the crotch, come forward and he came up with a leg kick. But I mean, you know, he was so apologetic and and he, you know, he kissed me like a (laughs) hundred. Right. So, He's just kissing me. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for like the whole next, the whole rest of the day, you know, after I, the blood stopped uh, and I kept going with the scene, but it broke my nose. But so I, you know, I wasn't mad at him because he was just so apologetic. Oh my but God. I, he did that. The other situation. He stabbed somebody on cyborg on that. Side. You shouldn't <laughs> work with him anymore, Greg. He's yeah. So well, dangerous. the other situation though, the person was completely unapologetic. And was actually a, a total jerk about it. And I wanted to do something, you know, that I would have had to get in one quick punch because he was much bigger and much stronger than I was. Stallone. But uh, not anybody that uh, wow. not, not I mean, Stallone was great. There were so many actors I worked with that were great. Uh, not, not a, This was an inexperienced actor who, who came from sports, who went into acting and was doing his first film. And I'm not going to say, and it wasn't Fred Dreyer either. He's a great guy. Is this the um, one that you know, did the, the, your Adam's apple? Who? Is, this, is that I, who you're talking about? No, 
Oh, okay. Can I? No, ask I haven't you about said the, the name. I haven't said the name of the person who did my Adam's Can apple. Can I ask you? Was he? Did he play a serial killer in the movie? <laughs> no, he played the lead. He, he played the lead. Uh, We're gonna get it, played, Casey. He played an undercover. It. He played an undercover FBI agent or something like that in a biker movie. That's all oh, I'm gonna okay. say. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the episode. That's it for today, but we're going to have a part two of Gregory Scott Cummins in just a few weeks. Keep your eyes open for that. Or don't. I mean, nobody's making you do it. Do it.